Today's show is brought to you by IBM. Technology today has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to good use. Together, we can build a smarter future for all of us. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You're listening to Too Embarrassed Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech and the week's news. You can send us questions on Twitter with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address, tooembarrassed at recode.net. Reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you didn't learn to spell in school. Today on a Too Embarrassed Ask, I'm delighted to be joined by Jason Calcan. Good to be here. Good to be there. You're one of my favorite people. He is the host of the podcast This Week in Startups. He's the founder of The Launch Conference, the CEO of Inside, the author, angel investor, a general irritating presence in Silicon Valley. People describe us very similarly, (laughs) in fact. Yes, I know. Exactly. (laughs) Except you made more money. Um, We're going to break the show into three parts because there's so many questions. First, we're going to talk to Jason about himself. And the second part, we're going to talk about some recent tech news and cryptocurrencies. And finally, we're going to talk about startups. But we've got lots and lots of questions from our readers because Everybody's fascinated with Jason. But first, you walked in here with this Kush thing. I want to ask you about this. Is this company's your first marijuana uh, investment? We like to say cannabis. Cannabis. It's a little bit weed. of a nice, my, nicer my term. son, I don't know why he knows this. As I have to say weed when I say marijuana. Uh, yeah. But go ahead. I can't imagine I have no why idea. he would. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So moving on from parenting. Kush. Uh, Kush Marketplace went through our incubator, the launch incubator, and we invested yeah. in it. And This is where, how much do you give people in these incubators? The, incub- the standard term here in Silicon Valley is $100,000 for 6%, right. uh, which nets out to just under a $2 million valuation, which is low. Mm-hmm. So the way to look at it is you're giving $100,000 for 2 or 3%, which mm-hmm. you would be like the market rate. Right. And then you get 2 or 3 points of equity in the company in kind for running a 12-week incubator, which costs some amount of money to do. So right. I've done like seven incubator classes. And you make how many investments from them? Seven in each one. So I kind of went with Paul Graham's original idea for Y Combinator, mm-hmm. which is keep it small right. and intimate and not do 140 companies, which I, right. is a valid strategy too. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of not even spray and pray. It's sort mm-hmm. of just scaling yeah. up, but you, you lose the intimacy. So I'm in it because you, I like to get to know You just seven fact. companies. Just seven. And it's really hard them. to do. Cool, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll have 500 to 1,000 people apply each time. Right. And then we'll have 50 come in and meet with us and the Mm -hmm. alumni. And then I pick 10 of them, put Mm -hmm. 10 offers out, first seven to get the offers in and signed, get into this one. The next three can wait. Do you fall behind like Y Combinator or do you get the the knockoffs or what? Yeah. Or other angel launch groups. Most of the incubators out there are run by people who are incompetent and failed in life. You know this. Yes. (laughs) I call them incinerators, but go ahead. Yeah, they're incinerators. And so I think if you just look at who's running them, Mm -hmm. you get a pretty good indication of like who's successful in life Mm -hmm. and who has credibility in a network. So David Cohn from Techstars is obviously successful. Paul Graham and Sam Altman are obviously successful. And then it's a steep drop off from there. Mm -hmm. Most of the other incubators are just a waste of time. Right. Those top two or three, I would say, if a founder could go to two or three of them, mm-hmm. you would dilute 6% each time. Right. That would actually be, for the three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, I think actually a pretty good seed round. Right. And would be worth the dilution for the network you get. So I'm seeing people go to Y Combinator, then our, uh, pop, oh, okay. our incubator, or vice versa. So I we've see. had that happen twice now. Huh. Um, so that's becoming a trend, I think. If you look at what Naval from Angelus sort of talks about is the unbundling of 
network advice and capital. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a trend that's happening. It used to be you would go to this monolithic VC center road and you get the money, the advice and the network. You'd be anointed by somebody like I was back in the day by Sequoia. And now it's sort of separating out a little bit where you can get the advice online for free in podcasts and blogs and medium. And then you can get the money from syndicates and funds and other places. And the network you can get on LinkedIn, you know. So what's your point that you give these all together in a better way? Um, Well, I think um, if you just look at the statistics, I would be one of the top five angel investors of all time. Right. And I'm trying to be the number one. It means I got to beat like Ron Conway, Chris Sock, a couple of other folks. And I also have the largest media platform of every any investor. So right, which is your plus, right? The which idea. is my big plus. Yeah, which so is your conference. Your, my social media, my conference, and my podcast, mm-hmm. which basically everybody has stolen that playbook. Mark right. Schuster, who's a friend of mine, right. Mark Andreessen, they've all done a podcast, a conference, you know, right. and, and different blog. things. Right. Yeah, it's, right. it's a standard right. practice now, but when I did it, it was a little bit innovative. So I can invest in a company and then I can promote them, like right. I'm doing now. You mentioned, oh, right. Kush So explain that very briefly for you, because I've got the questions from the audience in just this genre, but go ahead. Well, Kush Marketplace is a very simple idea. Um, cannabis is becoming legal. It's just probably going to be a national referendum after we get the orange clown out, and, or maybe even when he's in, who knows. Um, but if we get a national referendum, you're going to need to have a marketplace to trade between the four or five different players who are not the consumer. So you have a dispensary that sells it, a grower, and then in between the grower and the dispensary... There's all kinds of steps. Yeah, there's a processor who will make the flowers into oils. I'm getting a big education on this. And then the oils or the butter or whatever might be sold to somebody making cookies. And then the cookies might be sold to some celebrity who wants to package them and make you know, the Whoopi Goldberg tincture versus the Snoop Dogg tincture right. and, and that kind of right. thing. Right, it's so moving into regular. It's just a marketplace for all those people to buy and, and sell the product and they and just take Kush a commission. And does, does, do, does a marketplace. marketplace yeah. does marketplace. It's interesting. I just was for the first time in a uh, pot dispensary, a marijuana, weed, uh, cannabis dispensary. Cannabis dispensary. Sorry, I, for the first time. And I was funny because I went with a friend from New York who wanted to get stuff because it's not legal there. Yeah. And got a suitcase. It's mind-blowing for it's them. It's mind-blowing. No, well, they knew the whole place. They had it knocked down. But I was sort of shocked by the amount of stuff, like the amount of Oh, things. yeah. They're like, would you like a gelato? Yeah, I know. It was really crazy. And they kept, and it was funny because I don't do any drugs. And so I was just sort of standing there looking at everything and being offered all kinds of stuff. And they said, when, uh, I said, no, I'm really not interested. And they're like, when did you last, you know, smoke weed? And I said, 1979 once <laughs> in high school, 11th yeah. grade. It was very exciting. Me and Jimmy Carter. I know, <laughs> but seriously. And, they, and the kid looked at me and he goes, I was born in 1985. And I said, fuck you. So it was like, I was yeah. like, that's enough of this pot this month. You have no idea how powerful this stuff has gotten. I, I mean, know. literally. They, I got a whole lesson in THC, CBH, whatever. CBD is what whatever. you want to, when care. your knee hurts, like you take knee the hurts. CBD right. or something like that. It doesn't make you paranoid or crazy. It, it could solve the, it could largely solve the opioid problem because yeah. in, in all seriousness, in the places where yes, it's legal, the people. CBD part, because you don't want the TC, whatever age. The THC makes you, you know, loopy doopy, but the, yeah. the CBD just takes away the pain. Someone just gave me in a swag bag a uh, uh, marijuana cigarettes and some chocolate, and I didn't know it. And I was flying from Portland to California. No one told me, and I was carrying drugs. By the way, it's 10% of the people out here in the office are on okay, cannabis whatever. right now. I am high on life, Jason. But here's a question for you <laughs> in this area I'd like to know whether Jason self identified identifies with Anthony Scaramucci. Thanks. Oh, we're going to bite at the mooch. Uh, bought a mooch. Uh, you know, I had the mooch on the podcast, which oh was God. totally enjoyable. He's a enjoyable. disaster. He's coming to code. Is anyway, he? Yeah. Forget about it. Listen, yeah, you'll like I'm not here to... He'll play sp- poker with you. Oh, God. That'll be, I'm bringing him to play poker. Absolutely. The mooch's uh, money is good with me. Okay. So do you self-identify with him? 
No, no. <laughs> definitely not. Right. I mean, I know him from New York, and I, I could sometimes speak in a way that is yeah. a little rough around the edges. Yeah, but he's from Long Island. I would never work for that White House. Yeah. All right. Now, another reader, Paul T, asks, "Why spray and pray when targeted gut investments like Uber did so much for him? Yeah. Why not find the diamonds?" I, I do think I'm doing that. If you right. look at my portfolio, I've done 150 investments. Six have become unicorns: uh, Robinhood, Desktop Metal. Right. Data Stacks, uh, Wealthfront, Uber, and Thumbtack. And so one in 25 is a pretty ridiculous record. Mm -hmm. The unicorns tend to pay off in the hundreds or thousands right. to one. Right. So it may seem like spray and pray, um, but angel investing and venture investing are kind of similar in that you get the bad news early, like mm -hmm. 60, 70% of the names in your portfolio go away in the first two years. They're right. failed experiments and that's okay. And then whatever's left, the three or four out of 10, the 30, 40%, they move into the harvest phase and you find out around year four, five or six if, if, they're, gonna, gonna, if they're good. Right. And if they're not dead by year six or seven, either they're on life support in a zombie, which mm -hmm. happens you know, one out of three times for that group, or they're going to be a good return. And so- A decent return rather than the big, big return. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's incredibly annoying. This just gives you some perspective on mm -hmm. how binary the um, you know, activity of angel investing is. It's really annoying when you make two to 10 times your money, mm -hmm. which most people in the, you know, if you're buying Netflix or Amazon, you'd be like, wow, I double my money every three years right. or six years. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. For angel investors, when you make two to 10 times your money, you just want to kill yourself because you know that the company buying the acquirer has a theory of how they can 10 exit or 20 exit or right. 50 exit from here. So you right. look at Instagram selling for a billion or mm -hmm. YouTube selling for 1.6 billion. There were reasons why that happened, but both of those companies would be worth objectively 150 yeah. to 250 billion right now. Right. Huge mistakes in terms of selling. So founders need to be very long-term greedy, not short-term greedy. If they're not one of those zombies or medium-term. Yeah, I mean, you, you can do an aqua hire. It's pretty clear when that yeah. happens, but Instagram and YouTube were the opposite of aqua hires. But at the time, it could have seemed quite sketchy whether they were going to make it. YouTube specifically, yeah. They, yeah, they had all this those massive lawsuit. Yep. So that one is they understandable. They a harbor, as I recall. Yeah, they needed some help. But mm -hmm. in the Instagram case, I think that was Zuckerberg's ability to hypnotize founders, mm -hmm. which he did And he had some other well. offers from Twitter. He was talking to Twitter. I yeah, they were pretty Twitter. upset. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were. They had a campfire visit. They thought they had the deal done. But when they say that, so, so what is more strong for you, gut investments or... Is there a gut thing? Because people de I would say decry yes for me. that. Yes, yeah, okay. I, I've, I understand why people decry that, but as a high-stakes poker player who reads people for a living mm -hmm. and do this for a living, I am looking for people who are so passionate about their idea that it's an unhealthy passion and that they're not going to give up. And it's very easy to tell when somebody's heart is not in it. And it comes from being a journalist as well. When You, mm -hmm. you know when you're talking to somebody, if they're on a PR script and they've been media trained and you're sure. like, oh God, how do we get to the truth here? It's going to take half an hour of these softball questions before I get an answer to a real one. It's mm -hmm. exactly what happens in angel investing. I can suss people out pretty quickly. You do have to be careful that your own biases do not come into play where you think, oh, this person went to Stanford, white dude from Stanford or immigrant founder, you know, immigrant yeah. parents. Like there's this whole list of things that VCs look backwards and say, this is what makes a successful founder. Right. Well, that's completely ridiculous. A great founder can come from anywhere. And the entire definition of founders here in Silicon Valley is that they're all imported. Right. Tell me a founder here who built a 
decacorn or a hundred billion dollar company that is from Silicon Valley that was born and raised in Sunnyvale or Palo Alto. I gotta think there probably is one. I mean, we'll find it, but it doesn't come off the top of your head. So here's another question from uh, Zach Magnavitz. He emailed to ask, do you think that your loud brash tendencies hurt or help the ability to source female or minority founders? Great question. Because you've been Um, controversial on the internet. Yeah. You know, I... I've learned a lot over the last couple of years about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I believed I was an outsider and coming from where I came from, you know, my parents were broke. We were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And, you, you know, me, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And, you know, my dad lost his business when I was 17 and I had to pay my own way through school at night. So I always felt like the outsider's outsider. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, my wife said to me, like, you know, you, you, you should be happy with, you know, the, how far you got, Jason, but there are people who have a further journey than you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, and then sometimes it just takes a, a little bit of age and, uh, you know, a great partner to sort of explain that to you. And then I, I edited my book because my wife said, you know, you're, there's a whole group of people who maybe had single parents who maybe came from poverty, not just lower middle class right. and being in credit card debt. Maybe they had parents who were incarcerated. I mean, there's a whole group of people who had it harder than you, mm-hmm. foster kids, whatever. And it's sort of, I, I think that sort of hit me in a, in a deep way. And then also I spent a lot of time with Mitch and Freda Kapoor. Mm-hmm. And good influences. Freda has been a good influence on me because I used to have, being a conference producer for 20 years, a kind of hard line, like we only take CEOs like you do. Right. And we only, you know, it, it, you know, we're not going to pick who's on stage based on anything other than merit. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you know, well, you're in a position of influence. You pick who's on stage. If you take that position, you're going to have a certain composure on stage. Do you want to be part of the solution that changes the world mm-hmm. and that moves the world to something that's more fair and just? And I gave that a lot of thought too. And I was like, okay, great power, great responsibility. Uh, mm-hmm. I get it. And so we didn't like lower the bar. We we changed our perspective on it. Right. And we said, if we're not seeing enough founders uh, who are from underrepresented groups, which would be Latino and African-American here, we have right. an overrepresentation in most people's belief of Indian um, and Asian mm-hmm. uh, founders. How do we how do we change that, right. right? And so we just came up with some simple concepts. We're not going to announce the speakers for the conference until we have a diverse set. We have mm-hmm. five people out of the first 10 who are female or underrepresented, right? Mm-hmm. So we just you put that challenge there for yourself. Right. And then we launched something called founder.university where we said this founder university is for women only and this founder university is for underrepresented founders. And people can self-identify. So it could be LGBTQ, it could be right. female, it could be Latino, it could be any combination of those. And since we did that, we have 60 founders come who are in our investment zone or right before it. Mm-hmm. And we spend two or three days with them. We do it over at Wilson Sonsini's offices. And it's a free two or three day program. In the last female founder university, we offered five of those CEOs the ability to come to our incubator. And three of them were able to do it. Two of them couldn't do it for logistical or getting permission from their other investors. And we would have had five out of seven founders as CEOs, mm-hmm. not window dressing, because a right. lot of what's going on, you know this from yes, the diversity stats, is yeah. completely fugazi. Yeah, yeah, yep. Like, oh, we have a female receptionist or marketer or an outsourced PR person, and we're going to count that as a female founding mm-hmm. member of the team, or we're a venture firm, right. and our marketing partner yeah, is a woman. Yeah, yeah. So we call her a partner, mm-hmm. the marketing partner, no ability to write checks, right? right? So there, right. there's a little bit of that diversity sure. gamesmanship yes, yes, going on. Yes, yes, I know that. But 
I think that if you create specific opportunities and you invest in that change, it will happen. And and get back to your brash. You 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 have said things in the past. Well, I I, I think the thing that I've been misinterpreted on is mm-hmm. that I believe in my heart of hearts that we live in a time that's getting better and that anybody can go online and learn any skill, almost any skill. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be treated fairly by the VC or yeah. have the same opportunity. And so I think sometimes when I say that, like, hey, listen, instead of complaining about the situation, get rid of your Netflix and just spend five hours a night watching de- how to be a developer on YouTube or how mm-hmm. to be a designer mm-hmm. or a UX person and stop complaining about that. I think in this charge time, that can come off the wrong way on right. a medium like Twitter. Right. And so while I don't regret saying that, and I still believe that anybody can move up in the world and, and capitalism and democracy as perverted as it's been of late and as difficult as it can be to understand sometimes who wins and who doesn't, right. I do think it's the best system so far. Right. All right. Speaking of that, how can we make the Bay, this is from Vincent Cardillo, how can we make the Bay Area a more affordable and equitable place for everyone who lives here? Yeah. Then. Well, mayorjason.com. Uh, <laughs> we'll so address really Kara Swisher, Mayor ne- Swisher. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. What, what, <laughs> well, Paul Tompkinson, what would a better mayor for us have taken NYC hardline approach or have California sentimentality? Hmm. Well, we I th- win the race for mayor, Kara or Jason, and why? All right, these are all the like we'll answer these and we'll go to break. But wait, so we talk we about should probably tease these after quotes. the break. Yes, I, I know, mean, this true, is a good all cliffhanger. Right, is, all right, so no, that's okay, Jason. We're not going to tease anything. So affordable and equitable place for people who live here. Okay, that's a great question. Obviously, the nimbyism here, yes. coming from a place like L.A. and then growing up in New York, is insane to witness. Mm-hmm. There are people here who are super liberal people who are stopping the construction of new housing. And we just had a bill where you were going to be forced to, if you have a Caltrain station or a BART station, build, build up a little bit, right. build up a little bit, and that got shut down. Mm-hmm. So the NIMBY versus the YIMBY, yes in my backyard versus no in my backyard, it's starting to switch. Like mm-hmm. we're right in the middle of this. And we have to build many more units. You have to fix transportation, obviously. Right. And then this, we can find a solution to this. And it's literally we have to then give up the annoyance of building to have more units. It's that simple. And then you're going to just have to so invest. Density. density is the obvious thing. I mean, if you right. look at what's happening here in Soma, people can complain, oh my God, these are million dollar units. Any units on the market will alleviate the situation. That is proven. So while it sucks to see like, oh my God, all these new units are two, $3 million condos. That mm-hmm. doesn't help the firefighter or the teacher. What it does do is it keeps the internet dude or dudette or founder or sales executive from Google or Twitter or Uber who just moved here from, from another- buying and renovating. From renovating something in the mission or from mm-hmm. the next, you know, from sunset. So we just have to add many more units. It's that simple. It seems like we were on a bit it, of a tear. And what's in the way of that from your, this- Clearly the- I've noticed in a lot of the stuff I've been getting in my mail from all the candidates, housing is number one in the thing, homelessness and housing. Yeah. So the housing issue is literally a- you know, my understanding is it's it's by community. So we're talking about like 90 or 100 different communities. And it's just going to take massive leadership and a lot of public pressure. And, the, and people are going to have to vote for these specific ballot initiatives yeah. to say you have to. And then tax incentives are the obvious way. In New York, you have massive, massive number of mm-hmm. units coming on. And what they say is, hey, listen, if you want to build more units, build some affordable. And they just do this horse trading. So I think horse trading as opposed to you know, just being on either end of the Yimby Nimby, you're going to have to do some horse trading. Right. Hey, if you want to build a 10-story, you know, apartment complex in Cow Hollow or wherever it is, 
you know, maybe you're going to have to have three floors of it be, be affordable. affordable. And, and then this idea of what it takes to make a better mayor, there's a hardline approach, which the mayor here does not have a lot of power. That's what people don't recognize. That is the thing it, we both recognize. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because the city council, which is really runs things, but they don't really run it, right? Because they're incompetent, you're saying? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one might well, say. Well, there's just, it's too much power in too many people's hands always. Yeah. If you don't have an overwhelming person. Yeah, I, cities the, that do better tend to have stronger mayors. It I, I think you have the better chance of winning than I do. <laughs> um, we'll just head that off right now. The wild card being, if people believe that this city is so out of control right. that it needs a Giuliani-esque, Bloomberg-esque, Calacanis, I would fall yes. into that kind of group, yeah. and then you would be the By more the- homegrown. By you the know, way, Giuliani ass. and Bloomberg are very different. Giuliani of course. is like a goblin, as far as I'm concerned. It was a I mean, goblin mayor. Yeah, I he mean, he's gone off the deep end. Violent goblin mayor. But yeah. is, Bloomberg is a different story. There's something in that, you know, hey, listen, you, you may not like everything I do, but you might like the results. Mm-hmm. That I would probably fall into that camp. And you too have that little bit of a hard-ass mm-hmm. blunt mm-hmm. approach. I think either of us would probably have a good chance of winning versus the status quo if the people in the city want to see this become a modern city. And that Mm -hmm. is the existential crisis I see, which is there are people who want this to be the summer of love and not be a tech city and and stay that version of San Francisco, which I understand. But by the way, you're already lost. It's over. This is the tech city. This is the city of the future. It's going to turn into London, Hong Kong, New York. It's only a matter of time. So you can fight it, but you will not win. What about the homelessness issue? Yeah, this is a no-brainer. I yeah. mean, I've been doing a lot of research on this. I was an investor in a company called HandUp. And what I've did they re- do? HandUp was very interesting. It was Kickstarter for homeless people, which is a very easy thing to make fun of and be like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a stupid yeah. thing. But what they did was they made profiles of homeless people. So if you pass the same homeless person, which we all do, mm-hmm. and you know their name and the people in the community know their name, you build a profile page and say, hey, this person needs dentures, and this person needs a phone, and this person needs a place to stay. Here's what it will cost. Everybody put in 10 bucks, we'll get this person off the street and we'll transition them out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And it worked. I bought somebody dentures and you just, you know, it's like, okay, it's 800 bucks to, you know, the dentist is doing it at a cost. I just put my credit card in. Sure. Buy the guy dentures. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just a very simple gesture for somebody to do. And they just built the software to do that. And what happened was people, it was really fascinating. People would post, hey, this person, Joe is homeless and he grew up in Boise, Idaho. And then people from... Boise Idaho would be like, I remember Joe from high school. Mm-hmm. Let's all get him into rehab. Let's get him off right. the street. And that's what it's going to take. If you look at the the studies that have been done about the six, seven, eight thousand homeless people, some very significant percentage are, I think the majority are either suffering from a mental illness Definitely. or um, on drugs and abusing or abusing alcohol and some combination are doing both. And obviously self-medication is part of it. I've seen two people shooting heroin in front of me. I've never seen that oh, before. Oh, I see it every day. I live yeah. in the Castro every yeah. day. And it's, I think there is a lawlessness here mm-hmm. that, you know, is liberalism gone too far. We, we have to have a hard line. I said the other day, like, we have to stop people breaking into cars with, you know, just put these people in jail for the mm-hmm. maximum amount of time, make an example out of a couple of people and set up some, what they call bait cars, get these people on camera, then send it out to the uh, local... Uh, press and, and start a little movement. Like if you break into a car, you're going to get caught. And the vitriol I got from some, you know, hippy dippy sort of crazy liberals, mm-hmm. you know, who are as crazy as the alt-right people, like there's equal, equally crazy contingents in my mind. And they were like, well, what happened to these people in their childhoods that made them do this? Don't you want to solve the core issue? I'm like, yeah, we can work on that too. Mm-hmm. But if somebody wants to 
run a gang, and these are gangs in San Francisco yeah, yeah. that are specifically doing 80, 90% of this. They have gangs doing laptop stealing, doing car stealing. You, you really stealing. think that you should have some sympathy for them ripping people's laptops off and taking tourist luggage out of their car and ruining their vacations? Are you out of your mind? And mm-hmm. literally there are people who are in this crazy liberal psychosis right now where they're just like, yeah, it's interesting. What's it's the interesting. core issue here that we have to work on? The core issue is this person's a criminal. They need to go to jail and they need to reconsider what they're doing in life. And yes, of course, we could work on education, but this person needs to understand there are some basic rules. And yeah, I think it has reached first. a tipping point in San Francisco with the package, the every all the petty thievery, which is really they, they're not allowed to arrest them anymore. Is what one cop told me in Cow Hollow. Somebody just robbed every car in every garage when I was living there, and a cop told me, "Yeah, we're just not allowed to bring people in unless they rob something over five thousand dollars. They just tell us not to do it because of what the jam. They just have to. They just the position is petty crime is not worth prosecuting. Yeah, and is. people on the street is not worth pro- people doing drugs on the street is not worth prosecuting. Like, I think we have to really that's going to change. It's got to because this city is unlivable and we used to be a great tourist destination and people are across the country saying, why would you ever go to San Francisco? And they're right. It's a horrible experience to come here as a tourist, to come out of your- Yeah, Market Street has gotten out of here. Housing First has solved this over and over again. So I invested in a company called Blockable, Mm -hmm. which is making modular housing in factories. It's basically Tesla of housing. And it's doing really well. And they can build a home for $150, $200 a square foot, get it done in under six months. Get it, you know, basically take out two-thirds of the time and, and half the cost. We can put those in all these kind of infill areas and just put people in homes for $1,000 a month, 500 a month. It's costing, I think, $40,000 yeah, really per homeless person. It's an astonishing thing. This is great. So, Jason, I think you should Housing run for first. mayor. But you should. This. No, you should. All I'm right, going to run in order to scare the hell out of people <laughs> to drive vote votes to, to you. That's Just like idea. Trump was trying to do for Hillary <laughs> and it didn't work. It didn't. And then you'll be mayor and here, there we'll have it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break from a our sponsors man. and then we'll get back with Jason Calacanis. Amazing sponsors. Okay, now listen, Jason, can you give us the best reading of the line hashtag money in a Trump voice? Hashtag money, tremendous, amazing, well done. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Today's show is brought to you by Daily Look. Daily Look is an online premium personal styling service for women. From the comfort of your own home, you can build a one-on-one relationship with the industry's best personal stylist, choose your frequency for delivery, and get styled with hand-picked fashion items curated just for you. Here's how it works. All you have to do is fill out a style profile and start building a relationship with your stylist. Your stylist will handpick up to 12 quality clothes and accessories from premium brands you know, just like J Brand, Rag and & Bone, and Gorgiana, as well as emerging designers for you to discover. You'll get a chance to preview your box before they send it out so you can make a few changes to your selections if you want. Then they'll send the box and you can have a little try-on party at home. Keep what you love and return what you don't. It's completely hassle-free. You have no obligation to buy. If for some reason you don't like what you receive, you can just send it back. Shipping is even free both ways. It's a convenient, fun, and easy way to look your best. Get started today by going to dailylook.com slash TETA and click get started. Don't forget the code TETA to get $10 off your first box. That's dailylook.com slash TETA. Use the offer code TETA to get styled today. Today's show is also brought to you by Intercom. We spend a ton of time and money getting people to our websites, but how do we know they'll become customers? Intercom can help. It's a live chat platform that converts visitors and drives revenues for your business. See how Intercom can grow your company at intercom.com slash growth. 
We're back with Jason Calacanis. We're asking questions from people. Um, there's all kinds of ones we're getting. It's obvious one, but no secret. Jason is a Tesla fan, and that conference call uh, tonight. It was last it, night. Yeah, last night begs some follow-up. Classic. Um, so, so talk about. Let's talk about the big companies: Tesla, Uber. Let's start with Tesla and SpaceX and Elon. Yeah, I mean, Elon and I are personal friends, so I'm biased. I'm mm-hmm. a super fan of Tesla. I own all four. Mm-hmm. You do. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I'm I'm got the semi truck coming next year. I mm-hmm. did not wear a semi. <laughs> um, what people don't understand is it's the product. The product is tremendous. So I know people are just obsessed with Elon as an individual and landing rockets simultaneously. That's all well and good. He deserves a lot of kudos for that. And, you know, he's, he's obviously a brilliant engineer, but the product is what people are missing here. They get a little caught up in the ambition and, you know, the rockets landing. But if you drive that Model 3, it is the greatest car ever built. It is built. a very good car. And it's like driving a Porsche for the price of a Prius. And it rides like a Porsche and it goes 300 miles on electrical. And I remember when I met Elon, he was just an investor in Tesla mm-hmm. when Martin Eberhardt was running the company into the ground and Elon came in and saved it. He didn't want to be CEO. He had hired a CEO, replaced the CEO, and mm-hmm. then finally he came in to save it. And, you know, every step along the way, people were like range, cost, battery cost. They just were throwing rocks at him, mm-hmm. trying to say this will never work. And every step along the way, he just stayed focused on the product. The Model S came out, greatest car ever made. Uh, Model X came out, safest car ever made. Model 3 comes out, best car ever made again. And he beat, he just trounced BMW, Mercedes Mm -hmm. in the same categories, heads up. And if you go to any major city or suburb and you go to the parking lot, you see more Teslas than you see Mercedes and BMW now, or an equal amount, mm-hmm. whether it's New Jersey or Palo Alto. So what do you, what do you, you, th- you were talking about them throwing rocks at them. You, we, you and I talked about this yeah. before, the idea of there are some, you know, earthbound issues around how much you make, if you deliver it and everything like that. Sure. And he goes hard against the press and everybody else who... I think one of the things that happens as an entrepreneur is if you're super ambitious, you set incredible goals. Mm-hmm. The goals he sets for himself are insane. And so I don't know why exactly he does that. I think he wants to challenge himself. He wants to change the world, and Mm -hmm. and that's great. And, you know, if you set these crazy goals, then sometimes you hit 80% of them, 90% of them, and then, you know, he's he's been late on, I think every car has been a couple of months or years late. Mm -hmm. And I think that's built up this kind of idea that, oh my God, this company's always late and they're spending a lot of money. But when you look at the money they're spending, it's a very easy investment to make. I don't understand Mm -hmm. why this is so controversial. I think maybe to people on the East Coast, they're looking at, oh my God, he needs another billion dollars to get there and change the world. It's like Mm -hmm. a billion dollars, that's it? That's all he needs to change the world? Look at Amazon, 20 years of not being profitable. Yeah, that's the comparison you made. Yeah, and then just boop, all of a sudden they flip a switch and they're massively profitable. Mm -hmm. That's how all these companies work. And that's what people don't understand. Google can pick how much revenue they want to make. Mm -hmm. At one point, a Google executive said to me, when we know, we can pick our earnings. This is before they were public. They could just dial and change the number of ads shown uh, on a page and the number of searches that show ads. Facebook can do the same thing. So when you see these companies like hitting their numbers perfectly or exceeding them by just 5% each time or 2% beating estimates, that's all shaped. They're shaping their earnings. And, and sure. Amazon shaped their earnings to 
build 40% of, I think they have 40% of online retail now. Right. Yeah, it and, was Amazon bomb, you remember, at the time. Yeah, and now they're, boom, they're just all of a sudden profitable Amazon web services. Well, they That's did also get to have web services. They moved into some areas that were very lucrative. There are some cards that were turned over that people didn't expect. Right. And the same is true of Elon. Mm-hmm. And so Tesla's going to be fine. Um, I think he's under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not often that a company gets this fully valued. The stock is fully valued. Yeah. I mean, people really want to own the stock. And then there's a bunch of people who don't understand how Silicon Valley companies hit scale and a multi-decade approach. They're looking at it quarterly. Right. Nobody here looks at things quarterly. We look at things in decades. Well, not everybody. Some people do. They, some, but in terms, if you're of, looking at it if quarterly, you, if you had you're to doing look at any of way. the criticisms, what would you say? Okay, that's a valid. None of them. That zero. Zero. You know how I am. I like, know. These are these are my people. Like, <laughs> I I'm, understand. I've got to be one. I, you know the way I look at it is, I mean, if there's anything that Elon is guilty of, it's being too ambitious, mm-hmm. right? He every and you saw it recently. He, mm-hmm. They're like, he's tra- he he's sleeping on the floor so he can get to the five thousand a week, and then what does he do? He comes out and he's like, I think we can get to six thousand a week. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god! I can just imagine right. his PR right. people. Right. They're like, no, no, no. Let's let's exceed five thousand before we go to six. Do you like his pugnacious approach to PR? Um, he really comes down hard. It, I think he's been treated unfairly at times, mm-hmm. but if I was his PR or marketing person, I would take a slightly different approach. Which is? Well, you don't want to fight with people who, you know, buy ink by the barrel. There's and, no more ink. Jeez. And there's no more ink, but it's still true. Yeah. You know, I think Steve Jobs did a really good job of manipulating the press with access mm-hmm. and... Charm. Um, charm. And I, I think a charm offensive would be a good next move after he slam dunks this. But uh, my I, I, right now, the sh- one of the things that's happening that people don't understand is there's a really crazy short group of people who are trying to short the stock yes, because it is fully yeah. valued. And they're creating dozens, if not hundreds of fake accounts. Mm-hmm. So anytime you mention anything about Tesla, you just look at the replies, whether it's the guy Charlie at the Wall Street Journal or me talking about it or anybody who's talking about it. You'll have 50 replies from these accounts with following 400 people with 50 followers that have no location and mm-hmm. maybe the egg and yeah. they're all like Russian bot type things. That are it's, trying to drive the stock down. Right. So I think it's very frustrating to have that kind of short interest cabal attacking you, trying mm-hmm. to make the stock go down. Um, but what they need to focus on is just how great the Model 3 is. It's the iPhone of cars. And what about his other investment, the SpaceX and doing everything else? You know, a lot of founders come to me and they're like, yeah, I'm going to run two companies. I'm like, you're not Elon Musk? Right. And even Steve Jobs, when he had Pixar, he wasn't actually running Pixar. He was running amok at Pixar, Mm -hmm. would be more of the description. Right, yeah, yeah. Coming in there and causing chaos. Yeah, yeah. If you've read Creativity and other books about it. Right. So, you know, I, I don't think... Elon should run both companies indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, after and the Model 3. thing, he's got a lot of... Th- the boring company, I think, is, you know, not that big of um, a burden. because but solar, he's got a lot of... He does the solar's it. built into it now. They yeah. bought it and, you know, yeah. it's now part of it. And, and it's, Tesla is an electric company. And mm-hmm. if you look at what they're doing in Puerto Rico and what they did in um, Australia, and I think they did it in Kauai as well, you know, they're going to take us off the off the grid and burn yes, fossil fuels. And this is a really powerful thing. The battery technology in the Model 3 and what they're building in the Powerwall is really one of the big secrets of the company. Mm-hmm. He gave me a tour of the Gigafactory. And, I mean, this is super impressive. We're going to be able to essentially get rid of coal in our lifetime and, and get off fossil fuels. This mm-hmm. is a pretty amazing gift to humanity. So I'm rooting for him in a major way. He really is quite an astonishing person. I remember him it at uh, x.com. I remember that. 
Yeah, I remember at X.com, I remember one time, speaking of Walt, your yeah. partner, uh, retired now, I was at Sundance and Walt was like, hey, let's catch up because we had just launched Engadget and mm-hmm. it was, there was a little Engadget Walt mm-hmm. thing going on. And I was like, hey, can I bring my friend Elon? He's like, I don't know who this person is. I really don't want to, just want to <laughs> meet with you, Jason. And I was like, all right, next time. <laughs> it was pretty funny because nobody knew who Elon was. Yeah, I, I when, remember writing about X.com. Well, he was one of many. He was one of many. It, well, he, I think the brilliance, the and there's a really big lesson I try to tell to other founders mm-hmm. is pick a big problem. Right, you know, like which zipped. he did, which he did, which so Uber now Uber. everything's settled down there. Ta-da. What do you think? You you were a big you were at odds with Travis, then you were not at odds, and you were at odds with you know. But you, I've never been at odds with Travis, right? Um, you know, Travis and I have been friends for fifteen years, mm-hmm. and this is going to be one for the for the ages. I mean, the book on Uber is going to be quite a novel mm-hmm. and or screenplay. It's the fastest growing company in the history of Silicon Valley. Obviously, it's some very significant portion of my success uh, mm-hmm. and probably it's, you know, at one point it was 98% of my net worth. Now it's mm-hmm. probably 60 because other investments have become significant. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's my biggest win, which also makes it challenging because people have this incorrect assumption that when you're an angel investor or you have some power over right, the company right. and you don't. You don't. I'm not even on the board. Bill Gurley is on the board. Adiana Huffington is on the board. Yes, there there's now going to be great. 17 people on that board. It's going to be great, Kara. It's going to be great for Kara to have 17 people I think it was great. It's, Cara, it's like, <laughs> all right, Aria. Aria Huffington is like, hold on a second. We can start the board meeting in three, two. Okay, Kara, are you on FaceTime? Okay, now we can start the board meeting. Go ahead. Uh, this is Bill Gurley. Uh, I don't know, Ariana, if you should be FaceTiming with Kara Swisher during the board meeting. You know what? It was a lot more than in person. They anyway, know. so I'm very happy that it's uh, w- w- Dara, 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 Dara Kosrashad. I don't know him. Yeah, he's doing a great job, obviously. Yeah. And um, you know, as quickly as things can spiral out of control, they can spiral back on track. What's their challenge? I mean, the existential challenge everybody would point to is self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is going to happen in major cities for a long time. I put it at, if you were to set the line at eight years, I would take the over. Right, right. Because doing it on a grid mm-hmm. in Arizona where it's dry and there's no pedestrians, right? that's one thing. Right. There's no pedestrians jumping in for a cars. You mm-hmm. put that in New York or Italy where there's side streets and yep. homeless people and people on their phones walking in the streets. I think, you know, and I drive the autopilot every day and it's delightful on the 280 and 101, but you would not do it on market, obviously. Right, yet. right. So I think that's the only existential threat the right existential. now. And what about Lyft and all the other competitors? It looks yeah. like they're divvying uh-huh. up the world, right? That's what it looks Lyft. like. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> the, the, I think, ha ha Lyft. I mean, I, one of the crazy things about this is like, never has a company had such an amazing opportunity to uh, capitalize on unforced errors. Like mm-hmm. your competitor literally- Shoots itself on a ditch. Flips the car over, yeah. is in the ditch, and right. you just sit there and watch it. And then the car gets back on the road and starts going a hundred miles an hour again. Like mm-hmm. Lyft is just completely incompetent and they, they couldn't capitalize on <laughs> Uber's mistakes. Yeah. And the window has closed. And you know, and Uber's gonna- I, The Uber stake in DD yeah. is 17%, yeah. I think. And- People are saying Didi is going to go public at 50 to 100 million. Yeah, 50 100 billion. billion. Yeah. So now you're talking about eight. To, it's going to be their Alibaba. It would yeah. be like if Google right. had Alibaba stake, like a highly well, incredibly, but it was Yahoo, an incompetent yeah. company that was failing, worth right. $2 billion with a $40 billion stake. Right. This is going to be, Uber is going to be worth 150 or 250 billion with a 
$50 billion stake in Didi and then other places yeah, where they- it looks like they're going to split up the world. That's what it looks like. Well, me. I think Masayoshi-san is going to make the big play, it which when Masayoshi-san, yeah, when he bought 10% of the company, I just thought to myself, I need to sell some shares to Masayoshi-san because him buying the shares makes the company 20%. Mm-hmm. more valuable. So if you sold shares to Masa, you actually got back more than you sold, I think, mm-hmm. because he is going to unite the world. Right, of all the cars. Yeah, I agree For with sure. you. I think that's exactly what's coming. Okay, last thing from Peter emailed us. Uh, do you regret having sold all your Facebook stock last year when trading at 100? That's the third big company. Yeah, 125. I just don't like Mark Zuckerberg or that company. I mean, I okay. love Cheryl, but I, I just didn't want to hold it. I also don't yeah. like to hold individual stocks mm-hmm. because I've really enjoyed uh, being on CNBC. Mm-hmm. And I can go on CNBC and say, listen, I have a barbell strategy, a managed fund over at Wealthfront. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's in it. Right. I'm sure there are Facebook and Tesla and mm-hmm. Netflix shares. I couldn't tell you how many. I don't trade them. I trade where I have an information uh, advantage and a network advantage, which is in private companies. So private companies... Conflicts and right, right. information. But you don't like owning public companies. I don't want to trade public stocks. I mean, then I'm up against these Wall Street quant people who are smarter yep, than me. Yep. So I was glad to get out at 110 or $120. Of the what's, I, I had owned some WhatsApp shares, so I got Facebook shares. And I was just mm-hmm. like, you know what? I just don't want to so own. Why don't you like Mark Zuckerberg? Well, I met him early on. I think that the way he's run the company is completely immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real issue is, Every time he has to make a decision, he makes the decision that is in his own best interest to make the company grow faster without regard for the impact on the people who have built the system for him. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece to it is, I think he's incredibly anti-competitive with the way he copied Snapchat and steals everybody's innovations, including people like Dave Morin from Path, who used to work for him. He's not even loyal to him. He stole all his innovations Mm -hmm. and put Path out of business and cut them off on the... the, um, social graph. And I think this move fast and break things, you know, if you look at something like groups is the perfect example. Groups were, are you a member of any groups on Facebook that you weren't actually, that you didn't actually join? Mm -hmm. You're probably a member of many. Yeah. I don't even know. People can join you to groups. You don't even know. Mm -hmm. And so when the group feature came out, any normal founder would say, you should not add people to a group without their permission. Right. They did that Mm because they're like, oh, that would be our competitive advantage. We can Mm -hmm. take out friction. Mm -hmm. And what happens? There's a case uh, where uh, the gay man's choir at a college, the person running it added everybody to the group. Okay, we have 20 gay men in the group. Two of them were outed to their parents when Jason just joined the gay men's choir. Guess what, mom? Your son's gay. And like this could lead to people killing themselves. Yeah, and yeah, the regard, the lack of regard. It's just complete, utter lack of regard combined with the utter lack of creativity and stealing from other founders. No founder should ever sell a company to him. What do you imagine is going to happen to him now during the thing? Nothing. nothing. He, he crushed it. I mean, the yeah. fact that, you know, I think everybody was benchmarking his performance based upon the panic attack or whatever happened on stage yeah. with you. Yeah, they and were. The f- you know what I said? I'm like, he's an adult. Stop it. Like, I'm the one who made him do that. And I, I didn't, I was, I think, think that was bullshit that they, he couldn't make it. You're saying. I said that the idea that he would have a panic attack was ridiculous. He it was. was. He's, yeah. he's a, it's 20 years later or whatever, yeah. 15 years later. Yeah. I don't know. He's a, he's a man. Later. I was saying he's a man. Stop juvenilizing him. Exactly. And he's responsible for his own behavior and his behavior has been abhorrent, you know, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to own shares in the company and I, and I, I don't think he's good for Silicon Valley and innovation because he just comes to work and says, listen, I don't care what your ideas are. Evan Spiegel's are better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's against the tradition of Silicon Valley of, hey, try to come up with your own ideas. It's one thing to be inspired and say, hey, it's stories. It's Gatesian. It is a little Gatesian. And Gates was the other person who was hated for his entire life until he gave all his money away, which is obviously what Zuck will do. So <laughs> maybe, it's the, so maybe it's the exact right. playbook. <laughs> We're going to take one more break. We're from our sponsor. We'll be back with Jason Calacanis. Jason, one more time. tremendous sponsors. All right. <laughs> Hashtag money. Hashtag money, huge. Okay. And if you don't listen to Kara Swisher's podcast, I'll, you're total loser. Do it in Ariana. Loser. Do it in Ariana now, please. Ariana, total loser. Okay. Trump is a horrible human being. <laughs> He's not getting enough sleep. And, and that is the problem. If you take too much of the Adderall, <laughs> you don't sleep and you'll be grumpy. He's a very grumpy and he's grabbing people All right. in the wrong Hashtag places. money, Ariana. Hashtag money, Ariana. Today's show is brought to you by Freshly. Meal kits are so last year. Freshly is the new way to get dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs send you delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat better without any of the work. No cleanup or cooking is required. Their meals are delivered to your door fresh and ready when you are. Just heat them up when you're hungry. Freshly chefs and nutritionists make sure every meal is all natural, nutritious, and made with high quality ingredients. So now you can come home late and still have a delicious chef-cooked meal waiting for you. Just choose from their rotating menu of 30 options. My sons ate everything Freshly sent, so I didn't even get a taste, but they seem to like it. Try Freshly and you'll see what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash Tita to get $25 off your first order of six meals. That's $25 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com slash T-E-T-A. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. We're back with Jason Calaganis. He is talking about a lot of things. He just did a delightful Ariana Huffington impression along I love with the Ariana. Trump one. I know. So we recently had Farhad Manju from the New York Times on my other podcast, Recode Decode, and he writes a lot about the five huge tech companies, the Frightful Five. He said part of the reason he writes about them is that he thinks startups are basically doomed. For example, he said Google is sort of going to win whichever way the car market goes. They invested in Uber and Lyft. They sued Uber. It's hard to imagine any startup beating those companies. Jason, what do you think? And then we have a couple more questions. Um, he's right and he's wrong. Okay. Facebook obviously is willing to copy every innovation. Like you just said. Like mm -hmm. they just did. But if you look at Snapchat, it's still worth whatever, 15, 25 billion, depending yeah. on when you sold your stock. So they offered two or three billion. So if you stayed independent, you became worth five, 10 times mm -hmm. that. Twitter, same thing. So it's definitely harder. They can quickly copy web mm -hmm. and mobile experiences. And so it is harder. That's true. Um, but there is also a focus issue. I think most of the people in the FANG Facebook, Amazon, and Google specifically mm -hmm. are very aware of crossing the chasm and, you know, the innovator's dilemma, and mm -hmm. they will purposefully add things to their products to defend and moat them. So an example would be Uber had an existential crisis of bike sharing. Mm -hmm. Bike sharing is $2. Uber X might be 7 they're all two or three mile rides. So a jump bike goes two and a half miles. That's probably the sweet spot for UberX. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly. And so they bought it, right? right. So Jump got bought for 200 million, I think was reported. Right. So it's still a great opportunity. m and is on fire right now. I right. think m and is just but getting started. What does started. that mean for startups then? I mean, is it, it, means it they're seems like get, the big companies have a lot of the power right now. Compared, they do, but they also have so much cash. Mm -hmm. They are so cash rich and they are um, 
So it's good for acquisition. It actually turns out net-net, it'll be good for the bottom line. It might mean you'll see less companies become independent public companies. Right. But this is why companies have to look back and say, you know, I at the dot-com era and say, going public is a really great defense. If you get, if you get public, your price only goes up. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, Evan Spiegel had the ability to stand up to Zuck and be mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not selling you my company. He got the $15, $25 billion reward, whereas Instagram, which is a much more bigger company, is worth right. $150 billion, he got 1%. He got $1 billion. Right. So I think it's just the golden the golden age. So Farhad's right that they're going to compete harder, right. but he's wrong in that the prize for losing is going to be billion-dollar exits. Right. Okay. That's a very fair point. But it, it is nice to have more startups in control or more I- exciting. Um, There's, it's right. just they can't compete in certain areas, like right, websites. A few more questions. Yeah. Eduardo Vero, do you invest in startups of your friends? Is there any risk of misjudgment? Travis, that um, worked out okay for you. Yeah. Let's have another misjudgment like <laughs> yeah. that, please. Yeah. Um, I like to invest in my friends. I think the biggest mistakes I've made were not investing in Zynga and Twitter um, and Tesla. At the time, I wasn't an angel investor, and I could have invested when those companies were very, very young. And you didn't young. because? Well, because I, I thought I should invest in myself. I was just not into investing. I, I said I don't angel invest. Right. And I had opportunity to invest in all of those, and those mm-hmm. were each $25 million mistakes. So now, if a friend is building a company, I say, where can I send the check? Right. And then they say, do you want to know? So a friend of mine just started a company. I was on the board of his company previously. I saw a note that he was launching a new company. I just emailed him, can I send $200,000? He said, well, I want to talk to you about the idea. I was like, great. Let me send the two hundred, and then we'll talk about the idea. So you just did it sight unseen. Snap. I, I believe investing in the, this is one of my secret weapons. I invest in the arc mm-hmm. of a founder's career. And whatever Mark Pincus does next or Travis does next or, you know, Alex from Calm, if he does do another company, whoever does the next, whatever company they do next, I'm just going to invest in. Just going to give them money. Of course. Right. Okay. Because right. It, it only makes sense. You've already evaluated the most important ingredient in a startup, the founder. Right. So if you've already People vetted that. change. They get rich, lazy, things like that. There is a little bit of calling in rich that's yeah. going around. Calling in rich. I like, wake up every day now. I'm like, what? why am I going to work? I, why are you going to work? All right. Because I love uh, it. David McKeague says, I would love to get Jason's thoughts on spinning up new entrepreneurial ecosystems. I am in Sydney. He's has a Sydney event happening soon, which sure. I will be at. Launch Festival Sydney. Yeah. So what, what, what are your thoughts about spinning up new entrepreneurial ecosystems? I believe that a great entrepreneur can come from anywhere. That is my Can number one. Can they stay anywhere? Well, my secret is I go find them and then I bring them back here where mm-hmm. the market is more fluid. So right. if you were to meet with all the investors in Sydney, it would take a week. Mm-hmm. You could not meet with all the investors in Silicon Valley in a infinity right. because there's always a thousand more being added every time a company goes public. So right. Uber and Airbnb, Dropbox, whoever goes public mm-hmm. next... They just add another thousand angel investors and probably 50 VCs because they all go work for venture firms after they get their checks and they want to call in rich. So I think the high art is finding the great founders from those places and setting up an office here and keeping their back office in those places. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you can have Slack in Vancouver and here, Mm -hmm. you get the benefit of Vancouver or Toronto or Sydney being great open cities that allow people to Mm -hmm. immigrate, have lower taxes, lower cost of living. And then having the incredible vibrancy of talent and money in this town. Right. Because if you're looking for somebody who's used some specific So it's got to all spin off of Silicon Valley still. Yeah. I mean, but if you look or at China. Stockholm, nine unicorns now. Yeah. And then you look at China, many unicorns, India. So I don't think that we're going to have the lock on it 
the way we used to universally, but I do think it's not going to end Stockholm's in our lifetimes. Stockholm's a really good point. All right, so, Nine. so be in bo- everywhere. All right, Jesse Lakes, when is the right time to sell your startup? What is a good time to buy a competitor? Hmm? Yeah, selling is very complex. I sold Weblogs Inc. 18 months after we started it because I was negative $20,000 mm-hmm. and engaged and broke, and mm-hmm. they offered us $30 million bucks. And I brought Negative up, 20, th- meaning you were- I asked. was in debt $20,000 right. and- was in danger of not being able to Pay hit the them. modest payroll at Weblogs Inc. And we were just literally living month to month off my credit cards. Mm-hmm. And Brian and Alvi and I owned the majority of the company with a small amount, um, Peter Rojas and Mark Cuban owned. And so, you know, that that was my life-changing, you know, get my first couple million bucks. And mm-hmm. so I think for, at that time, we didn't have the concept of secondary shares, right. which everybody fought. I remember when secondary shares became a thing here, which is selling your shares before you go public to another investor. Right before M&A, to take a little bit off the table. We call it idiot insurance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Ron Conway, Fred Wilson, a number of people were like, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, they didn't like it. They didn't like it uh, because they thought it would take the edge off of the founders. Right. It actually took the edge and made them go long. So Mm -hmm. if somebody like Kevin Systrom at Instagram was Mm -hmm. able to take $100 off the table, Mm -hmm. he might have gone long. And not sold. The Airbnb executives, I think you remember that famous Mm -hmm. Chamath leaked post, I think Mm -hmm. they took 20, 30, 40 million each off the table. I broke that. You broke that one, okay, so then you definitely remember (laughs) it. Um, All roads lead back to (laughs) So anyway, that Chamath story that broke, or that Chamath emailed you, whichever happened, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, whoever, (laughs) Chamath PR people, I'm not saying anything. Don't speculate, it wasn't Chamath. I'm sure it wasn't, but anyway, you know, they took 20, 30, they took like 20, 30, 40 million off the table each. And you know what? That takes the edge off. You just don't want to make it be so much that the person has so much money they can buy a jet. That's right. my personal belief is once you okay. get that jet, jet, the jet rule, that breaks everything. The jet rule. All right. So you sold, it just was the right time you sold because you had no other option. That was the, that was that era, the web right. 2.0 era. You either sold or you or went you wrong right. and, or died, right? It was, right? it was binary. Now I see founders like series A, you know, Series B, take a million off the table. Series C, take five million off the table. Mm-hmm. Series D, take 20 right. million off the table. Right. And they can hedge they, their bet. Do you think go long? You're always I a go always long. think go long. If you can go long, go long. I had a company interviewed, which went to our hackathon, then went to Y Combinator, mm-hmm. and they got sold for tens of millions of dollars. It was, it was a fine exit. And, you know, I think we made nine times our money or something, seven times it in a year. And it was just brutal. It was the worst million dollars we ever made because I knew that the person acquiring interviewed would have had a 10x story themselves. So that seven should have been 70. Mm-hmm. And I begged the founder, I was like, I can set up, when they told me they were selling, I was like, I can set up secondary for you. How mm-hmm. much do you want? Let me find somebody. And they were just like, yeah, no, we want to sell. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine, but it's a mistake. And right. you know, I think if you've got something that's growing, almost universally, founders and early investors mm-hmm. underestimate how big it can get. I had Travis on the, on the podcast, This Week in Startups, um, and I said at some point, like when we were in two or three cities at the time, I said, I think this could be a billion dollar company. And he looked at me and goes, do you think? Uh-huh. And we were both wondering, could this mm-hmm. be a billion dollar company? Because you remember, this was right. the days of like Facebook right. being worth 10. And that was right. mind blowing to people when Yuri mm-hmm. Milner and Microsoft put in money at a $10 billion valuation. We always underestimate how big these things and how much they can change the because world. Because you may not be that one. That's why. And what about buying a competitor? Then we'll get to our last question. Yeah, always a great idea to take them out of the market unless they're a competitor that's incompetent. Right. You want to leave them in the market. So like they can mess things up. Yahoo, Twitter, and right. Lyft exist so those other competitors don't have to deal with antitrust. The reason Zuckerberg didn't buy Twitter was like, okay, which competitor is are we insured will not ever be a threat? Right. 
Instagram, WhatsApp, or Twitter. Oh no, WhatsApp and Instagram are serious threats. Twitter, totally incompetent. Let them meander. <laughs> Keep them in the market. Same thing with Google and Yahoo. Like, you're absolutely right. Am I wrong? Yeah, right. You're right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. No, you're this right. is literally the so thinking. So leave the incompetent person in the market. Absolutely. Yeah. You want that person there. Yeah. Yeah. That, it makes you look better. <laughs> you know, like, like well, I don't want to use any analogies, no, let's not, but let's, let's not go there. You're getting big, the I, I know just where you were going. I was too. like, you know, you have a friend. Uh, uh, no, I know, like, I know. Yeah, I'm, we're not letting you do that. No, we're going to save no, you because you're now the woke, Jason. All right, last I'm question. Woke. Let's wrap things with the questions addressed to both of us. Jordan Jackson, mm. same hue as you. Okay. Mm. How was create? How has creating media hosting shows impacted your career in unexpected ways? E.g., building a better product, better at investing, better at relationships, worse maybe. You start. Mm. Hmm. Well, because you did. That's when I met you. You had yeah, Silicon Alley and reporter, reporter, we reporter. Yeah, yeah. And I loved being a journalist. I love being a commentator now. I yeah. think my natural and that inside you kept trying. That I'm was still a, going. It's still doing well. It's actually it? making money. Wait, the one that was down in LA? That yeah, one? still going. Oh, Inside.com. But the, thirty had, newsletters. You had making great money. passion for it, and then just didn't work out the way you wanted. I think journalism is the hardest nut to crack. You mm-hmm. know that as well. Uh, especially during this time, but there are some signs of life um, with subscriptions. So I love media. I love writing. I think my natural wheelhouse is in having conversations and writing, speaking and writing. And writing the book was just a complete joy for me. And mm-hmm. I'm just starting the next book. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I'm going to do a book every other year, probably do three books is my plan. Right. And I love that. And it's cost me friendships at times in the short term. I pissed off Mark Cuban early days, but then became great friends with him. So when sometimes you piss people off, I think you have a similar experience where then they circle back around and say, you know what? You were fair. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not unfair, like Zuckerberg and I could be friends at some point. He could say, you know what? Yeah. The groups thing was a boneheaded decision of mine. I would never redo that. I'm an older person. I'm wiser. I'm sure I did stupid stuff in my early days. I'm, I'm positive of that. You You were there. I was, (laughs) you know, I was rambunctious. And so you, everybody matures and I think you had to give people room to evolve and change. But I, um, it is, I think the core to my success is that I have that platform and that you don't always agree with me, mm-hmm. but you know, I actually believe it yep, yep, and that I'm yep. candid and that at least it's well reasoned. So it's been good for you doing the, the media. hundred percent. It's been incredible for yeah, you. Yeah, it does separate you for, for yeah. me. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's different because it's not as lucrative as your, you taking media and moving somewhere else, but it's definitely, it depends on what your goal is. You know what? Honestly, like it what I try to explain to people about unexpected wealth and wealth in general mm-hmm. is it is not going to make you happy. No, of course The not. experiences are what are going to make you happy. So, you know, if I have a great cheeseburger and go to a basketball game or just sit out and have a nice tea with you at the code conference, iced tea tastes the same and yeah. the burger tastes the same. We'll yeah. experience the same. Yeah. No, I got it. I got it. And this is something that, you know, here in Silicon Valley, where you have this tremendous amount of wealth, you and I both know people who are extremely wealthy and extremely unhappy. Miserable people. Anxious, miserable you know, people, yes. miserable. Yeah. And there is zero correlation up, you know, just once you get past escape velocity, you don't have to worry about your rent. Mm-hmm. This is a major event. You don't right. have to worry about your rent anymore. Right. I don't have to worry about my rent anymore. Kids going to school is fine. Yeah. It is interesting because it's impacted you your careers. I think one of the things is being more entrepreneurially in the media has helped it. Like being more like, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it this way? Why don't, yeah. and I think you had the same thing with I, web you know, blogs and... I kind of enjoyed myself more mm-hmm. when I, and I know this is going to sound super obnoxious, but I enjoyed a little more when I was the up and comer 
than being yep. the man, mm-hmm. you know, being the person who's like, because yeah. now you're hated. Mm-hmm. Like when I say something now, it's always like, oh, that rich guy said this. Um, and it used to be that 26-year-old wonder kid said this. So yeah. every article used to start, 26-year-old Jason Calacanis said this. And I was like, why are you always judging me on my age? Or mm-hmm. like, you know, from but product like of Brooklyn. That. You know, I like being the underdog. And now it's like, yeah. millionaire, you know, Jason yeah. Calacanis says this. Like, well, can I just have my opinion yeah. not based upon my yeah. bank account? And Yeah, I get badass all the time. No, that's badass. Badass. Yeah, flying first class. Flying first class. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, like, you're like, we're like, we don't even have jets. <laughs> why hate us? <laughs> there are people with jets you can throw rocks at. All right, at. last question for me, Jason. I gotta go because I got other things <laughs> Well, now's the doozy. Here's the one. What, no, <laughs> what is something people... No, 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 no. There's no doozy coming. Um, what is something that people don't know about Jason Calacanis? Oh, God. That you think is misunderstood? I think sometimes people don't understand um, that I am, uh, I care deeply about people and my friends. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that I'm sensitive. Um, I'd say that sometimes people don't understand my my joking mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when I'm just being the kid from Brooklyn who's sitting on the stoop and we just crack jokes all day. Right. And it's something I've had to throttle a bit because I was on CNBC recently and we're doing this Amazon, which city's going to win? And it was, I think it was Pittsburgh versus Philly. And I was like, listen, Pittsburgh does not have great homes for these executives who are going to be mm-hmm. moving there to live in. And you look at Philly, like you can move yeah. into these incredible new mm-hmm. townhomes and mm-hmm. apartments, like... And they're like, well, you're saying there's no nice homes in Pittsburgh. And I was like, no, there's literally zero nice homes in Pittsburgh. <laughs> None. Yeah. 0.0. 0. And literally I got like a potential oh, LP. Yeah. No, a limited partner for my fund yeah. from a major endowment in Pittsburgh right. who was like really upset at me. And, and I was like, it's a joke. I oh, mean, man. Sometimes my jokes don't land. Fuck them if they can't take a joke. They fuck them if they can't take a joke. <laughs> no, I mean, look at this poor Michelle Wolf. I mean, the most... Oh, she's great. I'm she was sorry. awesome. And they're just like, oh my God, she was making fun of a person's looks or whatever. I was like, she made fun of her own looks. Yeah, she it's wasn't like, actually making fun of her looks. She was talking to her Aunt Lydia because Aunt Lydia is an evil fuck, not because she looks like a sack of potatoes. And also just, like, an evil you fuck. hired somebody to do a roast. Yeah. It's been 50 years yeah. from Bob Hope yep. to Jerry Seinfeld. I, I, um, and now because a woman does it, Yep. And she does it well. Yep. We're going to be upset at her. I agree. I thought that was the most misogynistic I, 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 insanity. Yeah. Like have her back next year. Yeah. And then give her an extra 10 minutes. Yep. Yep. I agree. Too bad. If she's the suppressor I mean, president, she can Gervais, take it. Ricky Gervais went insane at the Golden Globes. Take it. She can take she's, it. You got to get Sarah her. Uh, that is a good idea. That is a good, oh my I God. Are you kidding? Hilarious. The thin skinned people of Silicon Valley. Oh. Well, you saw it when TJ Miller came here well, and started remember, annihilating yes, people know, at the crunches. I'm thinking more Sarah Silverman at Ted, which I enjoyed every And they minute. threw her under the bus. Yes, they did. Chris Anderson's like, I am appalled. Oh, I love that. Like, go came here and broke our chops. Collectively, <laughs> we had no expectation that she would. I'm like, Chris. It's Sarah Silverman. You invited Sarah Silverman, and right. then you throw her under the bus. It was the lowest class thing I've ever seen. Like, how do you invite somebody to speak and then I throw agree. them under the bus? It's right. a comedian. Right. We've lost all sense of humor. I know People. that. That's why I have you here, Jason. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. You're a very nice person. Cara, People don't. Okay, you ahead. are a great podcaster, broadcaster. Have you been on Bill Maher yet? I'm going to introduce you to Bill. He's coming by the house. Why don't you come by for Spanish Copa? All right, Jason. Thank you Tremendous. again for joining me. Yes. <laughs> this has been another great episode of too embarrassed to ask. Thanks again to Jason Calacanis for joining me. We want to hear what you thought about the show, so please tweet about it with a hashtag too embarrassed and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or you can email us at tooembarrassedatrecode.net. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other shows, Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. If you have questions about any tech topic or the latest tech news, tweet them to at Recode with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed or email them to TooEmbarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells those ads so that you can listen to this show for free. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash p-tech.